Let's bring that up and this up. And let's have a word of prayer and then we'll begin. Father, thank you for this time together this evening. Thank you for your goodness and blessing to us this week for watching over us and caring for us. We pray for all of our friends, all of our brothers and sisters at CBC especially. Think of uh, Leslie and Larry Franzel who have the COVID and pray that you'll continue to, to give healing to them and others who may be having physical problems and difficulties, people who have been on our prayer list. We pray for all of them and pray for us this week that you'll keep us safe and healthy Thank you for this opportunity to study and to learn about these uh, items pertaining to the New Testament that we might be able to better understand your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So we're looking at uh, lesson six tonight, and we're finishing up finally tonight. We will finish, uh, Lord willing, uh, the history of the intertestamental period. And we've covered that pretty thoroughly with the kingdoms of David and Solomon, the captivities, the return of Israel under the Persians and Cyrus the Great, and then um, Alexander's conquest. Ultimately, that led to uh, a revolt by the Jews in 167, the Maccabean Revolt. They established uh, their own dynasty, and that lasted for about 100 years until 63 BC, when the Romans entered the picture, <clears throat> the Romans were growing concern over the centuries. And finally, in 63, they sent Pompey down, the Roman general, and uh, he ultimately exerted control over uh, Judea. And uh, that begins the Roman period in 63 BC. Um, he allowed the last uh, Hasmonean a leader, Hyrcanus, uh, the one who had been on the throne, he allows him to uh, retain his position as high priest, but not as king. The Romans are really in control, and they actually have Antipater, remember the Idumean governor, sort of governing really the whole situation. He's the real political power. But then the Hasmoneans, uh, they're... Uh, they're in their line, our Antigonus. Uh, he escapes from Rome and comes back with the Hasmoneans, overthrows his uncle, and reestablishes, you know, the Hasmonean dynasty in a sense. Uh, until uh, until uh, Herod the Great comes in with Roman legions and conquers the whole area. Herod, you remember, was the son of Antipater who was the governor of Idumea and really running Judea also. Herod had to flee when Antigonus comes in and gains re-control of Judea. But eventually he's appointed king of Judea by the Roman Senate in 37 and he comes with Roman legions, Roman soldiers. And uh, they are able to uh, conquer the Jewish rebels, the Jewish Hasmoneans and others and establish his reign. Uh, and this was the empire in the time. And so Judea is really just a, what we call a client kingdom. Rome had senatorial provinces and imperial provinces. 
The major province up here is Syria, which is an imperial province, which is directly controlled by the emperor and run with by a, uh, an, a what's called a legate, who, who is a military officer. He's like a general. He's like a general today. And he's running this province up here. And Herod is in control down here. He has his own soldiers and military and so forth, but he's under Roman control. After Herod's death, his sons divide up Palestine. Um, three of his sons, remember, actually rule Herod Antipas, Archelaus, and Herod Philip, or Philip as we call him, Herod Philip the Tetrarch. They, uh, <clears throat> the kingdom of Herod is divided among those three sons, and they basically rule after his death. The first one we've talked about was Archelaus, and he was ethnarch of uh, Judea, Samaria, and Idumea, which is this area here, the pinkish area here. What would you call this color, Pansy? It's kind of a rose. Rose, rose peach. Yeah, kind of a peach, I guess. Yeah, I have to ask Pansy these colors. So uh, this is kind of a rose, peach, whatever pink, whatever. And this is the area. This is the larger area, uh, Judea, Idumea, and Samaria. And so he controls this area until about 86. But then he's banished for misrule, if you remember. And so the Romans put a governor in this area, a, a prefect, a Roman prefect, which is a title for a Roman governor. <clears throat> and this, uh, like Pontius Pilate, mentioned, uh, who was presided at the trial of Jesus, and Antonio Felix and Festus, who were uh, governors during Paul's trials when he was at Caesarea here. There's Caesarea, which is the city that Herod built, but that's really the capital of the Roman province. This is a Roman province, you know, now after this, and the capital is there. And then there's also Philip, another son, and he became tetrarch of the Transjordan for Iturea, Trachonitis, Galanitis, Aran, uh, Aranitis, and Bantia. Bantia, Bantia, Bantania, I'm sorry. Um, that's this area here, this brownish area. So he become, he gets that part. Archelaus gets this, but he's banished. And uh, Philip gets this part. He was a pretty good ruler and so forth. Uh, and then um, Herod Antipas, the third son, uh, 4 BC to AD 39, he becomes Tetrarch of Galilee and Perea. And that's this kind of purple area here. Here's Galilee here and Perea down here. So this is all the territory of Herod. This green here is controlled by Syria, by the Syrian province and under the power of the Roman Del, uh, legate there, Roman general, really. And so this is uh, what has happened to Herod's territory um, with his three sons. And then we talked about the grandson of Herod the Great, Herod Agrippa I, um, who is uh, eventually becomes king over all of Palestine. Uh, here he is, Herod Agrippa, grandson of Herod the Great. And this is showing the area that he picked up. He picks up all this area 
all except this kingdom of Calus here. Uh, he, he gets all this. And he gets it, uh, if you remember, I told you the story last time, because he grew up in Rome. He was a friend first of the emperor Caligula. The first emperor was Augustus, then Tiberius, third Caligula. He was a friend of the third emperor Caligula. And when Caligula became emperor, he gave him territory. And he was also a friend of Claudius, the next emperor. He helped actually get him to be emperor, negotiating with the Senate. So he eventually, over time, uh, this is where he starts with the, the yellow here in 37. Then he picks up this lighter green, then all of Samaria, Idumea. So he really kind of gains control over most of the territory that uh, Herod had control of. But remember, he was the one in Acts 12 who uh, executes James, the brother of John, and he imprisons Peter. But he is uh, struck down with a fatal illness at Caesarea over here. Remember, we talked about the Hippodrome and so forth, and he's struck down there. Then the Herod Agrippa II, he's the son of Herod Agrippa I, you can see on the chart here. Um, he uh, gets a small patch of land here, first here, right here, this yellow portion. Uh, this is the Tetrarch of Philip, that the Tetrarch who had that land. He got that land first. And then eventually he got the light greenish area here. This was transferred to him in 61. He got this area, but he never got this. This all green area here, uh, Samaria, Judea, and Idumea is, is, is run over, ruled by Roman governors again, right up to 80, actually forever <laughs> for the rest of our period here. Um, he sided with the Romans in the revolt that we're going to talk about, the first Jewish revolt, uh, first Jewish war, and he retired to Rome in AD 75. He was seen as a traitor. That brings us then to early Jewish revolts. Um, we talked here about a number of them here leading up to the first Jewish war with Rome. One of them, we know about a number of them. I'm mentioning some of the more prominent ones. One was named Judas of Galilee. He led a unsuccessful revolt against the Romans. So, you know, the, the Jews uh, were never really happy under Roman rule. There was always agitation. And there was a series of these revolts. He led one. Um, it's mentioned in uh, Acts 5.37. Um, and um, this is what it says there. This Acts five thirty seven is um, when the the when the apostles are being arrested for the second time or the first time, uh, second time actually, yeah. And uh, this is Gamaliel. They're trying to decide what to do with him. And this Pharisee named Gamaliel. We'll talk about him later who was actually the teacher of the apostle Paul, he's in the Sanhedrin and he's, he's giving them some advice about what to do with these Christian guys, what to do. He said after him, he's, he's reciting a whole history of revolts, people who have revolted. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and all his followers were scattered. So that's what we're talking about, uh, this Judas... Uh, of the Galilean letter revolt. He's, he's well known. He's referring to it. Uh, 
he actually gives them some advice. Is that therefore in the present case, I advise you, this is Gamaliel, leave these men alone, let them go. For their purpose of activities of human origin will fail, but if it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. That's actually terrible advice. I mean, I think in the sense of um, not everything that succeeds is from God. Uh, God uses evil. <laughs> and there's a lot of false religions in the world that are very successful. It doesn't mean that uh, they're, that God, you know, God is necessarily blessing them or with them. But so anyway, they, that's what they decide to do. They let them go. And uh, so, um, um, as I said, he led a successful revolt against the Romans, precipitated by a second census ordered by Quirinius in AD 6. There's some question about all the details here that's going on. Quirinius uh, is mentioned in, uh, in, in the Gospels because it talks about a, 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 a census there of Quirinius when, uh, when Jesus' uh, Joseph and Mary went to be went for that census, went down to Bethlehem and so forth. And there's some debate about all this, but there's apparently another census or at least a continuation of that census in 86. And so this, this was another revolt caused by the heavy hand of Rome apparently. And this sort of marks the, move, the, the beginning, many say, of the Zealots. We'll talk about them, the resistance movement called the Zealots. Um, so, uh, there's a uh, Judas of Galilee and the beginning of the zealots. These people refused to pay taxes. Um, they were prepared to kill Romans and Jews who collaborated with the Romans. It was quite a revolutionary kind of, of movement. Then there's another mentioned, uh, we know about Thutis about the year 45, he led some followers against the Romans. He claimed he could cause the River Jordan to part. He was beheaded by the Roman procurator of Judea, Fetus. Uh, we know about all these. Josephus mentions these. They're just a never-ending turmoil with people being upset by the Romans. Then the sons of Judas of Galilee, two of his sons, attempted a rebellion. Um, 46 to 48, they were crucified by the Roman pure creator of Judea, Tiberius Alexander. Um, the Sicarii, 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 the Sicarii, uh, beginning in AD 54, radical zealots called Sicarii from the concealed daggers they used to assassinate their victims made their appearance. In AD 55, thousands of the Sicarii led an Egyptian, led by an Egyptian, encamped on the Mount of Olives and sought to take Jerusalem. They were dispersed by the Romans, but belief in the return of the Egyptian persisted. So they, we saw some slides last time of Jerusalem. This is looking from the Temple Mount up to the Mount of Olives. And uh, if you ever go there, you'll be impressed by the fact that this is quite a bit higher than the Mount of Olives, than the city of Jerusalem you look down from the Mount of Olives and it's quite a steep hill. We walked down there and it, you have to kind of, it's, it's hard not to just run because it's so steep. And so on the top is the Mount of Olives. And so people would assemble there and come down and try to attack Jerusalem. The Romans came out and basically uh, 
uh, killed these people and this Egyptian guy fled. What you see in that photograph here are tombs. These are Jewish tombs. And so Jews want to be uh, buried on the Mount of Olives because they figure that's when the Messiah comes back. This is, these, these are the first people who are going to be raised when the Messiah comes back. And so if you want to be buried here, it costs a lot of money. I don't know if there's any tombs left or not, but uh, they, these are all Jewish tombs here. It's a Jewish cemetery on the Mount of Olives. And uh, this thing about the Egyptian comes up in the New Testament. I don't know if you've noticed this before, but this is the case in Acts 21. The apostle Paul has come back to Jerusalem. Um, he's come back uh, after his third missionary journey. He's brought an offering for the church at Jerusalem. And when he comes back, he goes up to the temple mount, but he has to purify himself and so forth go through various purifications in order to go to the Temple Mount. And uh, so it says here in Acts 21, this section says, when the seven days were nearly over, that's of Paul's purification, some Jews from the province of Asia, that would be like Ephesus, where Paul was at for three years, saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd, seized him, shouting, fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and in our law and this place. And besides, he's brought the Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with Paul and assumed that he brought them into the temple. Remember, this is a temple here, and this is the balustrade here. Out here is the court of the Gentiles. So Gentiles could come here on the platform but they couldn't cross over here. There was a sign that says, you know, you're taking your life in your own hands uh, if you cross this balustrade here. And they accused him of taking Trophimus, a Gentile, across. Well, Paul wouldn't do that. That's nonsense. But, but they did accuse him of that. And so there's this riot here, down here. And uh, they're trying to kill the Apostle Paul. And so troops have to come down from up here, the right from the Fortress Antonio and try to see what's going on. They had this fortress up here so they could see, kind of watch what's going on in the temple. So it says in the Acts, the whole city was aroused. People came running from all directions, seizing Paul. They dragged him from the temple. Immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He sent some officers and soldiers and ran to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound to two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. Some of the crowd shouted one thing, some in another. And since the commander could not get the true truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. Now, they probably weren't speaking Greek, as we'll see this commander speaks Greek. And he may have not understood what they were saying. Of course, they, who knows what they were saying. When, the, when Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great, he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that, kept, uh, that followed kept shouting, get rid of him, get rid, rid of him. As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, may I say something to you? And he says, do you speak Greek? So he's amazed that this Jew, I guess, is speaking Greek. He replied, aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time ago. Well, that's the one we're talking about. That's this uh, letter D we just talked about here where uh, this Egyptian 
had a bunch of terrorists on the Mount of Olives, came down. He escaped. And so there, the rumor was that this guy's out there and he's ready to lead more people. And he says, aren't you that Egyptian? Paul said, no, I'm a Jew from Tarsus and Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. So Paul says, no, I didn't. Uh, that's not me. Well, all this uh, uh, pre-revolution leads up to a real revolution. And that's the... Uh, that's the first Jewish war in AD 66 to 70. I say here, uh, the growth of the zealot nationalist movement together with the increasing hardline policy of the Roman governors, Albinus and Florus led to the outbreak of this war. And Josephus talks about their cruelties and what they did. For instance, he says, Florus, raided the temple treasury on the pretext that money was required for the imperial service. So these guys would steal money and so forth. And if they were asked about the Romans, if they were asked by their Roman overlords, you know, what are you doing here? Uh, he said, well, I'm, I did this for the emperor. I was going to give this money to the emperor. That's all I was doing. There was a lot of money that came into the temple because all Jews throughout the diaspora were taxed by a temple tax. And they sent that money in. So, and there was money for sacrifices. So there was money there and uh, a lot, and Roman governors like to try to grab it if they could. Um, so this, this uh, led to a revolt. Uh, they just, the Jews had had enough here in 66. And so they uh, started an all out revolt. Now I'm not going into all the details here. I, I just wanna cover this last thing here. Uh, about the Roman history. The Jews were successful at first. So Nero sent his best general Vespasian from Britain. So what happens is, um, remember there are these Roman legions around. That incident I just mentioned in Acts 21, that was a Roman soldier, but not a member of a Roman legion. That was what, that, that, he was a member of what we called auxiliary troops. Remember I talked about auxiliary troops. Besides the legions, these, the legionaries were Roman citizens. There were thousands and thousands of auxiliary troops that were drawn from provinces in the empire who were Roman soldiers, uh, but they weren't legions. They weren't as well-trained. They weren't as disciplined and so forth. And so Romans put legions out in different places. And so uh, there were legions here in Syria you can see there was the third, the sixth, the 10th, and the 12th here. There's legions over here in Macedonia, uh, up here north of Macedonia. There's, there's some legions in Egypt and so forth. There's legions around. And so uh, when Nero was, when, when the Jews were successful at first, um, hard to see on this map here, but this red line is uh, the governor of, Syria comes down. So the, the, uh, uh, this is the, uh, the governor of Syria, uh, Crestius, and um, he is sent by Nero. He's a general. He has legions. Um, he has uh, the 12th legion. He has, uh, and he has some other, other troops. He has a, a, about 30 to 36,000 troops, which is a pretty big army in that day. And he comes down and uh, he wins some battles. He massacres a lot of Jews, crucifies 
but there's a location right here called Beth Horn. And uh, right here at Beth Horn, he meets a devastating defeat. He's wiped out. His troops, 6,000 of his troops are, are wiped out. Uh, Cestius Gallus here, the governor of Syria. And this is, uh, they, they actually capture the standard of the Roman uh, legion, which is considered just terrible to get that, that standard taken. And this goes down in Roman history as one of the worst defeats in Roman's history, Rome, Rome, this defeat of the legions here. And if I can say it like the, excuse me, but if I can say it like the Romans did, the thing, the thing they were saying was these guys got beat by a bunch of Jews. That's, that's how they were saying it, you know? And so this was really a disgrace uh, for, for the empire to be defeated here by these Jews, by a Roman general with the legions coming down. You know, this is, these are the best soldiers in the world, supposedly. I mean, these are the finest trained soldiers in the world and they got beat here. So uh, Nero decides to send Vespasian, a general from Britain at the time. This is the dates of his, he's, he's the next emperor after Nero, 69 to 79. I've got his dates there when he became emperor. <clears throat> so he decides to send him to subdue uh, this place. And uh, the Christians in Jerusalem, uh, I, say, uh, I say here, Vespasian, read that, um, uh, along with his son Titus, so Vespasian from Britain, along with his son Titus, he subdued Galilee. The Christians in Jerusalem fred, fled and went to Pella, just south of the, of the Sea of Galilee. So the Christians could see what was happening here. Uh, so Vespasian comes, he gets, a, some, he gets the Macedonian Legion up here. He's got the 10th Legion here. And his son Titus is in Alexandria. He brings some legions. And they, they come over here with, uh, you know, about 60,000 troops. And uh, they uh, land and they go through the land and they defeat the Jews. Now, here's Pella right here, just south of the Sea of Galilee. So the Christians, we are told, uh, fled and uh, they were looked upon as deserters by the Jews. You remember in the book of Acts, as you read through the book of Acts, and you even get to chapters 20, 21, where Paul comes back, the Jews there, the Jewish Christians, are living in harmony with the Jews. They're, they're living there. They're, uh, they're not causing any trouble. They're living in harmony with the Jews, as far as we can tell. Uh, so that's, that's what's happening. But these Jewish Christians there, when the Romans come, they flee, and that's that kind of puts them on the outs. So uh, Nero died, as I say here, in 68. Actually, he was killed himself because uh, in a coup here, but he ultimately committed suicide. Uh, and so then there's a fight in Rome for control of the empire. And another guy becomes emperor, another guy, and then another. So it's a bunch of, it's called the year of the four emperors. So Vespasian, he decides to go back to Rome in the middle of this, before they've actually conquered Jerusalem in AD 70. He decides to go back to Rome and uh, try to make himself emperor, which he does. He's hailed emperor by his troops uh, in 68, and he goes, leaves his son Titus in charge. 
So after a siege of five months, the walls of Jerusalem were breached and the temple destroyed in AD 70. So there's Titus. So Vespasian is the emperor, and then Titus is the emperor after Vespasian. Um, and uh, so they conquer Jerusalem, take uh, complete control of, uh, of that. Um, it was a terrible thing. Josephus says that uh, over a million Jews were killed. And he says that 100,000 were taken prisoner. 100,000 Jews were taken prisoner uh, in this destruction of Jerusalem. Well, uh, so Titus is working on that. He destroys Jerusalem. There's still some rebels who are hiding out in various places. The last rebels uh, were crushed in AD 73 because some rebels had gone to the fortress of Masada. Remember we talked about Masada last week uh, where Herod had built this fortress for himself. And so the Romans <clears throat> were finally able after a long siege to uh, breach the walls of Masada there were 960 defenders, according to Josephus, who were on Masada. And rather than being taken by the Romans, they decided to kill themselves. And so they drew lots and had like one killed 10 and so forth like that. And uh, rather than taken prisoner, uh, two, seven people uh, did not die. Two women and five children escaped by hiding in a cave and were able to tell the story. So here's Masada. We looked at this last week, but we'll talk a little bit about the siege uh, camp here and the, the siege ramp. So here's the Romans built camps around that they have found remains. Uh, like here's one and here's their ramp they built up. They actually put dirt up here and in order to uh, breach the wall, there were walls here on Masada. Uh, you can see a siege camp here, camp here, the ramp here, and so forth. Here it is, the ramp. If you ever go to Masada, you'll, you'll see that. Uh, there's another view of it, and so forth. And so uh, this is what uh, Palestine looks like now. So now it's the Roman province of Judea completely. All this is governed by a Roman governor from now on. So there's no more Hasmoneans. There's no more Herodians. The Herodian dynasty has come to an end with Herod Agrippa II, who left for Rome. That's the end of that. So now the Romans are completely in charge. This is just a Roman province governed by a Roman governor. Well, uh, this uh, Titus had a tremendous victory in defeating the Jews. And the Romans really th thought that was a great victory because they had been defeated at Beth Horn. And so uh, Titus uh, comes back to Rome, great celebration, triumph. And he eventually becomes the emperor. And then he dies and his brother Domitian becomes the emperor, and he erects this arch to celebrate the victory of Titus and Vespasian 
his father here at the, in the Roman Forum. And if you go there, you can see this carving here shows the Roman soldiers taking the seven branch menorah back uh, to Rome. So they took, the, they took the implements of the temple back to Rome. Uh, the menorah, the table of showbread, the silver trumpets right here. Uh, and actually Jews have used this diagram to make their menorahs, uh, make menorahs kind of like that from this particular this, this carving here at the arch of, uh, of uh, Titus. In recent days, they've discovered, I started to show you a picture, but I didn't, but they've discovered that these things were painted. They had colors on them and they've tried to reconstruct, but these were actually in color, believe it or not, here at the Arch of Titus. There's another view of them carrying the menorah back. So they, they thought this was a great victory here uh, by the Romans. And you can see how they, how they celebrated with the Arch of Titus here. Well, there was a second Jewish war. Uh, the things were still not stable. Jews were still upset. You know, they, they weren't willing to give in. And so there came a second Jewish war, 132 to 135. The Jews rebelled again when Emperor Hadrian forbade the Jewish rite of circumcision and planned to rebuild Jerusalem as a Hellenistic city. He wanted to build a temple to the god Jupiter. So the city had been destroyed, but then Hadrian comes along, uh, the emperor, and he wants to completely Hellenize or Romanize the city, forbid, you know, get rid of the Jews altogether, and build it as a, as a, as a Roman city, and which he did, <laughs> and, build a, and build a temple there to the god Jupiter on the Temple Mount. Uh, the Jews were led by a Jew named Simon, who was given the title Bar Kokhba, the son of a star by Rabbi Akaba. Um, so the rebels were upset because, you know, the fact is this meant their no temple was going to be rebuilt. That's what sort of spurred this on. They were always hoping that, well, one day we'll be able to rebuild the temple. But now that the Hadrian is going to build a temple to Jupiter there, we'll never get a temple back, you know? And so this, this really precipitated the revolt. And uh, we have now, after the destruction of Jerusalem, the rise of really the rabbis, of Pharisees, the Sadducees no longer exist, as we'll see, because the destruction of the temple meant their end. They were, they were tied to the temple completely. And uh, this rabbi, uh, Rabbi Akaba, a very famous rabbi of that time, he says that this rebel leader is this Messiah. Um, this, uh, this comes from Numbers 24, 17. Numbers 24 is, is a messianic sort of prophecy, Balaam's fourth oracle. It says a star will come out of Jacob. Uh, the star will come out of Jacob. And so he said, you're the son of the star. You're, you're, the, you're the Messiah, in effect. It's what he, this Simon, that he gave him the title Bar Kokhba. Bar is Aramaic for sun, son of a star. And so he's said to be the Messiah, and he's come back to set up his kingdom, destroy the Romans, and so forth like that. Well, the revolt was put down in 135, 
and I won't go on, I'm not going all the details of that. Hadrian's temple was built on the site of the destroyed Jewish temple dedicated to Jupiter, Jupiter Capitolinus. The official name of the city became uh, Ilea Capitolina. This Ilea here is Hadrian's nomen or his family name, one of his family names at least. Uh, Romans had three names, a prinomen, a nomen, and a cognomen. The nomen, the middle name is sort of the family name. And so he sort of named it after himself. And uh, Jews were forbidden to enter the city. Circumcision was not allowed among the Jews. Jews were allowed to come in one day a week on a festival day to mourn the destruction of the temple, but that's it. And so uh, here is what uh, his uh, Ilia Capitolina, this Roman city. So he reconstructs Jerusalem as a Roman city with the temple of Jupiter, statue of Hadrian here, Roman Jupiter on the temple. Now, it's hard to find out exactly all that happened in that temple. Apparently it just went into destruction. Now, many people say that if you look at the Dome of the Rock, which we didn't look at in detail there, people say that the present Dome of the Rock has some columns or some of the architecture is from this temple that they use, they reuse. People didn't, people often reuse previous buildings, but that's what people say, some people say. So he reconstructs it as a Roman city. He builds kind of main streets here. Uh, this is a cardo. So the Romans had a cardo. This is the cardo maximus uh, here, cardo maximus here. Um, the, the main cardo, the main street. All Roman cities had a main street, just like we do Main Street USA. And there was another cardo here. And I'll show you some remains of those in just a moment. Down here's the camp of the 10th Roman legion. So one of the legions that was involved in the first Jewish revolt in AD 70 was the 10th Roman Legion, and they stayed. <laughs> they went down to Masada, came back. They were here for 200 years, uh, the camp of the 10th Roman Legion, right here. This is the Western Hill. Here's the city of David. And so they, they find remains in, in you know, a number of years. I can, the last 30 years, I can remember uh, many finds have been found in this area that are remains of the 10th Roman Legion here in this particular area. Of course, it's all populated, settled here with houses and stuff today. But uh, so he, uh, he uh, this is the present Damascus gate up here in the north. And here's the Cardo, here's one. So uh, this is a map called the Madaba map, a mosaic map found in a city uh, in Jordan, right, right on the west bank of the, uh, uh, right, on the, right, on the, right on the, in Jordan, on the east side of the Jordan River. And this, is, this was found in the building there. It's often referred to, I know it's hard to make much sense of it, but this shows those two cardos. You see these little white things? These are those columns. And so here's the main cardo going down here in the 10th Roman Legion. Now this is from the year 590, 600. So this is now a Christian place now. This is all Christian after Constantine, you know, becomes a Christian in the fourth century. Here's the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. It's hard to make out, but that's a church there. It's flat on its, on its you know, flattened down. 
the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, if you ever go to Jerusalem, you'd go there, another church here. But this is this cardo, and then there's another cardo up here, another street up here, and I'll show you that, what that looks like here. <clears throat> so here's this cardo, the main cardo. If you go to Jerusalem, you'll see these columns that have been excavated. Now it's kind of below ground. Um, right up here, we, I remember we went to a shawarma restaurant up here. That's pretty good shawarmas. But uh, this, is, uh, this is columns from that excavation right here. Uh, so this was, uh, this was a Roman street, the main street. And it goes right out to the, what's called the Damascus Gate today. It did. So that was this cardo here. Then there's another one up here that they discovered since I was there in 2000. This is uh, right by the Western Wall we talked about. Here's a Temple Mount. So when you look on this map, the temple is up here. It's not in the picture. This, this, unfortunately, this, uh, this mat, this mosaic, it's on the floor. This is a, on the floor of a building has been destroyed. And so what's left there, this is what's left of the top here. So somewhere up here would be the temple and it's not really on here. Uh, and so, uh, here is that second cardo here that they've discovered. They dug this out since I was there right close to the temple. And so here it is. Here's that. East, what they call Eastern Cardo, which is, we're talking about here's the East. So this is North, I'm sorry, this is North, this is South. North is to the left, South is to the right, and this is West, this is East. So that's that main Cardo, and this is uh, that Eastern Cardo here. You can see the columns are trying to show that here, and they found that here. They found this Eastern Cardo here. Uh, today, excavating. I'm sure they've done more probably since this was taken, maybe. All right, let's talk uh, a little bit about uh, Roman numeral three here, the parties. <clears throat> so we finished, Roman numeral one was introduction, <clears throat> Roman numeral two was intertestamental history. And we, I think, covered that pretty thoroughly. And we've gone into the New Testament age too. I thought it was helpful if we kind of go in and past the New Testament age so we can see all that's happening. We want to talk about <clears throat> the various parties. And the way I've kind of divided this up, I've talked about Jewish diversity. I've talked about, I've got A, the Samaritans, and B, the Jews. So I'm kind of considering Samaritans a Jewish party here. Uh, now, that's not exactly true. The Samaritans don't call themselves Jews. They consider themselves the true Jews in a sense, but they don't call themselves Jews. But let's talk about uh, the Samaritans here for a moment. Uh, uh, during the intertestamental period, uh, a split of the Mosaic religion manifested itself in the two varieties, Samaritanism and Judaism. So the Samaritans, following the fall of the Northern Kingdom in 722 BC, and we talked about that, the Assyrian captivity, 722, and the Northern Kingdom, the 10 Northern tribes, the largely depopulated region was resettled by colonists brought in by the Assyrians from various parts of their empire. So the Assyrians took people out, that is leading citizens, wealthy people, craftsmen, 
took them out of their area, took them out of their part and put them somewhere else, put them into this Syrian captive in area. And they brought in other Gentiles to move into that area. Now there's a story in the Bible I didn't go into, but it talks about when that happened, there were uh, people in the land were being attacked by lions and other things. And the Assyrian king thinks that, well, maybe the gods, the gods there were offended. You know, they think the pagans think that every area has their gods and every region has their gods. And they think, well, maybe the gods are offended there and we've offended, the, the people have offended the gods. So, so according to the Bible, they got a priest from, from the captives to go back and sort of try to teach these people the true Jewish religion, how to honor the Jewish religion. Well, the bottom line is they adopted a syncretistic, synchronized, that is syncretistic. That means uh, to adopt combined forms of various religion. In fact, you know, the Roman Catholic Church is often accused of syncretism. That is, it, it takes pagan elements and brings it into Christianity, so, you know, that kind of thing. But they did. They adopted a syncretistic form, combined worship of Yahweh, the true God, Old Testament, with for gods of pagan religions. They brought with them, according to Second Kings. They intermarried with the Jews who had been left behind. Now, at first, they would have been, this would have been resisted, but it's bound to happen eventually. And the Samaritans were their descendants. It's uncertain when the split from Judaism took place, but the Samaritans were not allowed to help in the building of the temple by Zerubbabel because of their deviations from Judaism. So the Jews come back under Zerubbabel. The Samaritans are there, but the Jews see them as not following true religion, and they don't want to be, they, won't, they separate from them. And so the Samaritans uh, eventually build their own temple on Mount Gerizim. Therefore, they opposed the building of the temple and the walls of the city under Nehemiah in the 5th century. They have tried to appeal to, uh, to Persia and so forth, get them to stop. They eventually built their own temple in the time of Alexander the Great, a temple on Mount Gerizim. We'll talk about Mount Gerizim and, uh, and what they did there. So we're talking about this area right here. Here's Samaria, Judea down here. So here's Samaria. Here's Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. And there's two mountains here, we'll see. And Shechem, the Old Testament Shechem, Abraham was at Shechem. That's down here. This is uh, where a lot of the Palestinians, uh, PLO, live right in here. Pansy and I had the opportunity to go here back in 2000, but you can't, I don't think you can go there today, pretty much. Yeah, it was kind of scary when we went there. Uh, we saw Yasser Arafat's headquarters and so forth, but we'll see. I'll talk about this Mount Ebal, Mount Gerizim next time because it's an important part of this is where the temple was here on Mount Gerizim, and I'll show you some pictures of what's left of Mount Gerizim and so forth. But I see I have gone over here, so maybe I should stop for the night and uh, we will pick this up next time.